Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Erica. And I am Steve, and we are going to try a different sort of direction of conversation today, mm-hmm. Erica, yeah? Um, Eric and I, we're, we're, we're talking. We don't just talk when the uh, microphones are recording. Uh, we have conversation like normal people. Uh, and <laughs> we have been talking uh, of late about the recent... Uh, rash of well-publicized celebrity suicides mm-hmm. in in uh, the news. Uh, by now, by the time this will go on uh, broadcast, it will have been plenty of months since that's happened, and God forbid there be others. But uh, we notice that when there are um, famous people who take their own lives, or when there are tragic and violent mass shootings, for uh, a day or two in the news, there's conversation for a while about the importance of mental health. Mm-hmm. Often the news changes to something else. We you know, find a movie blockbuster to talk about or some other horrible thing that happens in the world. We forget about it. Uh, and the, the culture moves on without having really ever wrestled with or talked much about um, mental health. Uh, and maybe worst of all, Erica, mm-hmm. it seems like we, and this is where we religious professionals need to own mm-hmm. something, the church has often been even worse about never talking about or very rarely talking about how do people of faith um, also deal with troubles, difficulties, challenges of mental health mm-hmm. um, and do it in a way with integrity um, to the, the, the suffering, the difficulties that people go through in life. Yeah, there, there is such a stigma in our culture around mental health Secular and sacred. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody knows how to deal with it because it's just something that makes us uncomfortable. Sure. Um, and rightly so. I mean, it's it's an imbalance. It, it, it's something wrong with a person. But unlike a broken bone or a sprained ankle where you can put a bandage or a cast on it or, or splint it for a while and it's better, yeah. this is stuff that normally lives with people for most, if not all, of their lives. Yeah. I, I, I'm so glad you mentioned right off the get-go, part of, part of why mental health seems like it's treated differently is, is twofold in my mind then. One, that you can see someone with some kinds of maladies. If someone walks in with a cast or someone is, uh, you know, their, their uh, head's in a neck brace or something, you can visually see, oh, this person is dealing with pain. I should be gracious to them, hold the door for them, you know, bring them chicken soup, something like that. Uh, and mental health doesn't manifest that way, generally speaking. So you don't, no one wears a sign saying, hi, I'm dealing with mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, it's harder, that makes it unseen and all the more likely to be something we whisper and hush about rather than to, to deal with or to name. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe this is another piece of it too. Um, maybe the, the roots of this way of thinking go back centuries or millennia, but we have a way of treating our bodies like that's separate from me. I'm me and I have a body. Mm-hmm. But my mind, we tend to go, well, that, that is me. And when there's something that is out of whack or out of balance or out of order in our minds, we tend to take that like, oh, there's something wrong with me as a person. Whereas, oh, my clumsy foot, I tripped. I don't, I don't take that as a character flaw. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, well, I tripped. And we end up then treating mental illness like, oh, it's a character flaw, it's a deficiency if you have struggled with depression or if you uh, have been diagnosed bipolar or uh, with whatever kinds of other uh, uh, Mm -hmm. disorders or or mental health issues someone might have. And that's a piece we have to deal with too, that it's... that that seems kind of hypocritical. Um, That if I don't fault myself per se for, oh, I tripped on the ice and that's why I have a sprain, to say the things that can go wrong in our mind, this is not that somebody wills for it to happen or that it's a character flaw. Mm -hmm. 
And unfortunately, the the church, you know, as we said, doesn't talk about this at all. You know, mm-hmm. society even talks about it for a couple of days after you know um, a Robin Williams or mm-hmm. an Anthony mm-hmm. Bourdain or a Kate Spade, you know, kind of suicide. This prominent figure, we talk about it for a couple of days, and then, as you said, something else comes up, and yeah. our minds go somewhere else. But there are so many people in our culture who live with this kind of stuff day in and day out. And society doesn't talk about it. And then even worse, the church, which should be talking about all things, mm-hmm. and especially at points, those things that society doesn't want to talk about. Right. Like, you know, we just finished a, a series on evil, you know. And yeah. The, the church is called to speak out on that. The church should speak on this, but we don't. Yeah. And, and maybe we could go one further and say sometimes religious folks speaking on behalf of the church have tried to address issues of mental health and done it in horrible ways by saying every issue of mental health just can be prayed away. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're depressed. Well, you need to pray more. I mean, again, neither of us are anti-prayer. Let, I, I would hope <laughs> for anyone who's ever had any conversation with us, whether on podcasts or in real life, neither Eric or I or we're, we're willing to take the stand and be courageous. Neither of us are anti-prayer. Uh, and yet, it, they're, they're just, just like I'm not anti-prayer, and yet I also think if you're bleeding, a bandage is the proper course of action. Mm-hmm. And also prayer, sure. Yes. Um, but there are tools that immediately are designed to stop bleeding. <laughs> and there are also tools that we have discovered that can be helpful in dealing with mental health issues mm-hmm. along with prayer, which I guess we need to treat as, more often than not, a long-game solution. You know, that, that God's response in prayer, God takes God's good old time. Sometimes it's right away, and sometimes... Years and years and years and years that we're praying and praying and praying, mm-hmm. and God's answer comes slowly in time. Uh, but band-aids are okay in the meantime when you're bleeding. So similarly, there are other things that are part of mental health. And religious professionals, uh, pastors, preachers, radio people, whatever, who uh, sometimes get heard saying things like, depression isn't real, you should just pray more, have done great disservice to people who struggle. And mm-hmm. and deeply harm the faith of people who really have dealt with um, uh, mental health, with, with depression, with, with bipolar, with, with whatever other um, uh, disorders can go on. And it's not just that, Steve, but then also we say, well, not only do you need to just pray it away, mm-hmm. you know, eventually, you know, eventually someday God will take care of it, because we understand right. that sometimes God doesn't answer prayer right away. But then we don't encourage folks to go and see the, the help that they need, whether that be a counselor or a psychologist or a psychiatrist, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, we don't encourage people to seek out that kind of help. And I'll speak for myself. I've been to a counselor. Mm-hmm. I have, I've seen counselors on and off for the past, I don't know, five, six, seven years now mm-hmm. uh, at different times. I'm not clinically depressed or, or diagnosed with anything clinical, but it has been very helpful to me to be able to go and see someone and mm-hmm. I think it's we do a disservice as a church when we say well no you don't need to go and see them right because guess what everyone I've gone to see is also a Christian sure and and sometimes we we treat this like a dichotomy like either oh well if you're a Christian your solution to mental health is you pray more uh and your or your pastor will have all answers for all the circumstances yeah. uh and if you're someone who doesn't believe in God okay then you go to psychologists or psychiatrists and like no that's a false dichotomy that we could be people of faith who also believe that talking to counselors who, at the very least, are trained to see things that we might not see about ourselves, uh, as well as the possibility that there are people who can know what the medical, uh, physiological side of what's going on in our, in our minds as well. I mean, this is the difficulty, too, about the subject matter, that um, 
we get how to talk about the heart as a, as a physical organ of the body and we can understand how, oh, well, a certain medicine, a chemical, you know, could help fix that and, you know, your liver, your arm, whatever, these are physical things and we treat the brain like it's not a physical thing too, but it's a both and. Mm-hmm. Our minds are these things that transcend the physical atoms that make up our brains, but our brains are physical objects that obey the laws of chemistry as well. Mm-hmm. And when something goes uh, awry in our brains, our physical actual brains, so that the right chemical isn't released, or too much of this or too much of that, these are things that are affectable and changeable by uh, you know, changes of habit, by getting enough sleep, by changing diet, as well as sometimes by medication. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, neither Erica or I will get kickbacks from any drug manufacturers or anything <laughs> like, or the American Association of Psychiatry. No, but this is a matter of saying the difficulty maybe of mental health is it, you're talking about something that manifests in the world as non-physical, our minds and our you know, personalities, mm-hmm. but is very much rooted to an organ in our in our brains, in our bodies, uh, that does uh, obey the rules of chemistry and science. But that's also the organ that we still know the least about in our bodies, too. And, I mean, you talk to any scientist, any doctor, they'll tell you, you know, yeah, we, we think we basically have got the heart down. We've got the muscles. We've got your bones. We know how to fix all those things. And, you know, we can't fix them. Then we can give you new ones or, you know, things yeah. like that. And the brain, we can't replace. We can't give you a new one. Yeah. And yet we... You know, the doctors and the scientists and everyone out there, they don't have it completely figured out either. Because there's just so much to what what makes up our brain and how it works and how it helps us to function that when something goes awry, we're still trying to figure it out. Right, right, right. So, okay, if we've named part of what we think the problem is, that we, and at least for you and me, as as leaders in faith communities, um, as people who name the name of Jesus and want to do right by the the people we interact with and love and serve, part of the problem is we haven't been good about talking about this uh, as as an issue or as a a subject matter. What what does our faith as, as... particular uh, people, not just of any faith in the, in the world, but as, as Christians, what, what, what direction does our Christian faith have for um, caring for one another in our mental health as well? Well, I think it's just the same as caring for one another with our physical health. You know? Okay. Um, no, you can't bring somebody necessarily chicken soup to make them feel better. Okay, okay. But recognizing that they have a disability, they have a disorder, and... and just talking to them like they're a normal person. Like, that's, yeah. I think, the biggest thing. Uh, I, I have a friend who um, is bipolar, too, and, and she has the more depressive side of a bipolar. And I, I noticed, um, she, she's from a former church that I served, and I noticed a lot of people just didn't take the time to get to know her and talk to her mm. because she was kind of shy and, um, you know, her depressive state and the medicine that she was on made her tired, and so she was hard to kind of yeah. hold a conversation with. But yeah. if you just take the time to hold a conversation with somebody, you can realize that, you know, a mental disorder, a mental disability that does not keep you from being you know it doesn't mean that you're not human yeah you know yeah. that doesn't make you not a person it just right. means that you're you're different yeah well and and again this this gets at the way we treat um strictly physical uh maladies differently mm-hmm. you know nobody nobody if, if someone walks in with a, with, a, with a cast on their leg or something like that, I don't reduce them to, oh, you're just a broken leg. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I, would, I would hope not. Um, and I don't restrict uh, all of our conversation to only stuff about your broken leg. Tell me your story about how your leg got broken. I assume their world is bigger than that. And on the other hand, 
um, generally speaking, I, I shouldn't be afraid to say, uh, how's your leg feel? Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be an elephant in the room. It's, oh, okay, this is part of the picture, but it's not all of who you are. And similarly, like you say, to treat people like they're not just a diagnosis. Like, it's just, oh, well, we don't talk to that person because they've got this diagnosis mm-hmm. and I either were afraid or I don't know how to handle it or, uh, you know... If, if we care about people, we'll take the time to learn how, how are you comfortable talking about this. And it doesn't mean everybody has to tell a big, long story uh, and be ready to tell it to the world. But when you care about people, you learn how to speak their language and learn how to speak in their world. So there are, you know, it might be you have a friend who has a broken leg and they are, you just know they're not comfortable telling the story about how they broke their leg. You learn, okay, fair enough. We'll talk about other stuff. I can mm-hmm. treat you as a person. Similarly, we'll get to know people if we dare to take that time and make the effort. And we'll discover what are the boundary lines for that person and for what they're going through. Yeah, and those boundaries are so important. It's just like um, somebody with a physical disability doesn't always want to, you know, if you're talking to someone who is is wheelchair-bound or, you know, has a limp or some sort of physical disability, not everything that you talk about is focused on that physical disability. The same thing is with mental health, you know. And sometimes you might not even realize a person is dealing with a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. Um, other than the fact they might, you know, not interact quite the same way as everybody else does. And that might say, well, they're different or, you know, some people might say they're odd, which I hate using that kind of wording. Mm-hmm. Um, but just getting to know the person and then talking on their terms and, you know, if they're willing to open up to you and, and share with you, well, you know what? Yeah, I suffer from anxiety or, you know, I'm bipolar or something. Yeah then just carefully walking that path and treading that path lightly and just seeing where their comfort zones are and when they put up a boundary just say okay yeah if you're not comfortable talking about that right now that's fine that's okay yeah let's talk about your family let's talk about your past let's talk about your job whatever Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. because people every one of us uh, mental disability or not are more than just you know, I'm more than just a pastor. Sure, sure. You know, and, and my friend is more than just somebody who has bipolar. Right. And, I mean, that's that's important. That we, we know how to do that, generally speaking, with the people in our lives who matter to us. We take the time to get to know one another as well-rounded people. So our friends, our colleagues, our family members, we know not just their um, their picadillos or their their hang-ups, but we know their interests and their strengths, and we treat them like that, um, and without dismissing or reducing somebody to one trait or one issue or something like that. So, I mean, maybe maybe this is really a matter of just what it plain looks like to love your neighbor. You know, like, mm-hmm. we, we, we take the time to get invested in each other's lives when it's our family or friends, um, and to say part of what it means to love the neighbor is to treat the neighbor as a full human being. Um, and that means taking the additional time, not just to treat somebody like a diagnosis or I heard a rumor about them so I won't talk to them, but to treat people like they're well-rounded, full-fledged human beings um, and to get to know them. And like you say, to respect the boundaries when they put boundaries up, um, but also to not be afraid to talk. And if it means that we take the risk of asking somebody or approaching a conversation and they get hesitant, okay, sometimes we take the risk and the other person isn't ready. Yep, let's be grown-ups about it. Sometimes we take those kind of risks. That's what it is to be a grown-up human. <laughs> yeah. And I think it can also be helpful if you know if there's somebody in your life that you know has um, something like bipolar or schizophrenia or depression or something like that, mm-hmm. do some research about it. Figure out what... Um, what that means for them, what that that makes their life look like. Yeah. Uh, for my friend with bipolar, she's the depressive side, and so you know, bipolar has the real highs, the manics. You know, they're yeah. excited and, and full of energy, and, and the depressive side. 
hers manifested more so in the depressive side. And when I watched the movie Inside Out mm-hmm. and saw sadness, I'm like, oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah. I get it now because I'm like, that's what's going in her head <laughs> all the time. Yeah, yeah. And it just helped me like a light bulb went off and I suddenly understood my friend so much better <laughs> uh, because I understood kind of why her, her mind thinks the way that it does. Yeah, yeah. And so then that helps me to interact with her. We don't need to talk about it necessarily, but yeah. it just helps me to say, okay, this is you know kind of how her mind processes. This is what she thinks about, and this yeah. is why um, she's not going to be joy yeah, <laughs> in yeah. the movie. Um, but she, you know, she ends up more sadness. Yeah, and, and maybe it's important to say too in all this. I'm glad you mentioned that movie, even though again we will not be getting any kickbacks from Pixar. Oh we gosh, no. Any, we don't get any kickbacks from the drug manufacturers, or you know, we get no funding at all for anything we say. Here. We don't do but, this for the money. <laughs> we're not in it for the internet celebrity either. No. Um, but but one of the things that was helpful about that particular movie, Inside Out's conclusion, which again, plenty of other books, novels, and movies have, have dealt with, um, is the idea that in the end, the goal of life, the, the life at its fullest, isn't just only happy, bright, pastel, yellow things, mm-hmm. but some of the most important things in our lives are both and. They are bittersweet. They are good with a tinge mm-hmm. of sorrow. Um, and that that's not a design flaw. That's part of what it is. I mean, that that's... Any world that involves loving people is necessarily going to also involve sorrow as well as joy. Mm -hmm. Because we're happy to be around people when we love them. And then when they get sick, we share their sorrow with them. That's what love looks like. So if if, if our assumption about the world is that the goal is to make everybody happy and smiling and rainbows and unicorns all the time, that's a false picture of how the world ought to be. Um, Or it's a picture of a world that doesn't have genuine love. Mm Because genuine love is going to involve... uh, even even without um, you know people doing malicious, horrible, mean, sinful things to each other, a world in which people can stumble and fall and get hurt or be sad or be lonely is going to involve sorrow and sadness. And mm-hmm. loving other people when they go through it will mean that we share it with them. So it's not that uh, to talk about mental health means we have to find a way to make everybody smile all the time. That that's not the goal. And that's not the goal of anybody in the mental health uh, field as well. And maybe that's an important thing to acknowledge that the goal when we talk about people being able to get help or talk about mental health is not to say that we're trying to force them to all be fake smiles all the time either. Mm-hmm. And I think and that's really important for us in the church because I think a lot of times people come to church and they expect everybody to be really happy and joyful and excited and, you know, just thrilled to be there. And, you know, sometimes, whether it's, you know, diagnosis or not, sometimes you come to church and you're just not in that in that place. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you're having a hard time. And we need to be willing and able to accept folks when they come to church, no matter what mood they are in, mm-hmm. and for whatever reasons they're in that mood. Perhaps yeah. you're just having a bad day, you know. I have bad days. I don't know. You, I'm sure you have bad days, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's been known to happen. <clears throat> and, and, yeah, that, that awareness is important. And, and maybe, again, this is not to delve back into a subject we talked about a few months ago about uh, worship as a subject, but um, one thing we're not great at in life in general, and then it shows up in worship, is paying attention to our surroundings and the people around us. We tend to be sort of uh, isolated individual customers, and I'm only interested in my customer experience. Mm-hmm. So I tend to have, a, I mean, any of us tend to have this view of, well, I went to church, did I like the songs, did I like the sermon, did I like the, did I see my friends, and, you know, whatever, uh, instead of going in with open eyes of, 
looking, paying attention to the people around me whom God has put in my life? And is there someone else who seems like they are really, really having a rough day today? And it doesn't mean I have to get all up in their business, but it may well mean that I could be the listening ear or to at least say, hey, I'm glad you're here and to just just sit with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that sometimes we, we are so oblivious to other people and what they're going through any given day and any given moment that just that by itself is a big step forward uh, to get outside of ourselves for a little bit because we are so attuned and our culture does an awful lot to reinforce us sort of getting bent in on ourselves in our own mm-hmm. little world that it's just about me and my consumer experience and part of caring for our neighbor and their mental health is to just pay attention. Is there somebody who's sobbing when you expect everybody else to be happy because everybody's just saying a happy song and why are they sad? Huh, I wonder what's going on for them. That that's It's in some sense a simple step, but it's not easy because we get scared about that and it takes mm-hmm. vigilance. It takes that, that practice of doing it. Because again, we don't know how to handle emotions that mm-hmm. aren't mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sunshine and rainbows and yeah. uniforms all the time. And, and maybe too, especially uh, with, with issues of mental health, we have a way of retreating into um, priest and Levite mode in the Good Samaritan story. You know, you see somebody else and it's like, oh, I don't want to get all involved in that. Oh, I, I don't want to get dragged down. I'm having a fine day. Or if I start talking to them, my goodness, then I'll get roped into helping. Like, and we just have this way of, oh, that's not my business. And instead mm-hmm. of, again, nobody's calling us to jump in and fix or you know be the savior for somebody else. But um, Paul says in, in Romans that part of our calling is not just to rejoice with those who rejoice, but to weep with those who weep. And so accompaniment may be a, a, an important picture of whatever you're going through, I will share that with you. Um, and maybe that's a helpful uh, maybe set of boundaries or guide rules for us as we talk uh, as, as Christians who are not mental health professionals, that uh, it, it's, not, it's not the job of individual Christians or of even pastors uh, without other credentialing or expertise to start saying, oh, well, my job is to fix other people who are depressed. No, I don't have that knowledge for how to do, mm-hmm. how to do that. that I, should, I should not pretend I'm a mechanic. I should not pretend I'm a carpenter. I'm not, I should not pretend I'm a computer programmer. I should not pretend I'm a psychiatrist. But that what I can do is to accompany people where they're at and mm-hmm. to share whatever it is they're going through. Um, and in that regard, that allows me then sometimes to be the sounding board that bounces back. Boy, it sounds like you're dealing with a lot. Have you thought about, have you talked to somebody else who's got that expertise? Mm-hmm. There is a place where I can speak and be on solid ground. But if I go, oh, well, I've watched a couple of movies that has had psychiatrists in them. I think I know what to do to fix you. Um, it, one, treats the other person like they are just a problem to be fixed rather than a mm-hmm. full human being and treats myself like I'm an expert in something I'm not an expert in. <laughs> I like to tell people all the time, I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one in real life. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it is not our job as Christians and, and our job as pastors even, because I, I know I don't have the credentialing yeah. to counsel somebody in, on that level. Yeah. And I, I don't know about you, Steve, but... <laughs> no, I, can, I can't find my way out of a paper bag. <laughs> but um, it's not our job to fix them. Right. That, that's for Jesus and the counselor or psychiatrist. <laughs> like, that, that's right. their, you know, that's right. their job. Our job is just to be there as a support yeah, yeah. and to point them in the direction yeah. of Jesus and the counselor and, and say, maybe you want to talk with these folks. And maybe even too, maybe even we need to, uh, at least, as maybe particularly from our vantage point uh, in the Christian community, even need to think about the beauty that is possible in the midst of brokenness. Uh, instead of the automatic, either you're fixed or you're, or you're broken, um, that... Um, Sometimes, I mean, that, that God is able to do things for people who still struggle. It's not like, well, God can't use you because you're still dealing with your diagnosis. Once you get cured, then God can use you. Mm-hmm. But that the whole story of 
the sweep of salvation history and the story of the Bible is the story of God using people who often dealt with all kinds of different brokennesses, mm-hmm. including including brokennesses uh, and, and, and hurts and, uh, and sicknesses in the mind as well. Um, and I, I think, for example, about um, Elijah, in the, who, whose story shows up in the books of Kings. Um, there are a number of points along the way in Elijah's story where uh, he comes out as plain old, uh, straight over the plate suicidal, you know, and mm-hmm. prays to God, everybody's abandoned me, I'm alone, and you let it happen, God, why don't you just kill me, I'm ready to go die. He goes out to the middle of nowhere to a cave so we can wait for God's voice and say, God, I'm ready to die, just kill me. Um, and he again, 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 take away my life, God, I'm ready to die, I'm ready to die. Um, and just because he's dealing with that doesn't mean, oh, well, don't pay anything attention to what Elijah mm-hmm. says or wait till he's in treatment and, you know, coming out smiling and happy and then God can use him. But in the midst of that brokenness, God continues to speak to him. And God does something amazing there um, in that particular story where it goes out to the cave at um, Mount Horeb, the same mountain where, where, um, where Moses has gone to you know, meet God mm-hmm. up on the mountain. Um, and uh, God shows up, and God shows up not in any of the overt ways. I mean, this is one of those stories that we people do learn at some point that because it ends with God's not in the fire, God's not in the earthquake, God's not in the wind, God's in this, the sound of sheer silence or the still small voice. And that voice um, doesn't pity him. It's sort of a, all right, Elijah, get up and go. Um, and that there's still work to be done. That even mm-hmm. though he's clearly still wrestling with being suicidal, um, God continues, there's work to be done, Elijah. I can still work and, and use you. Paul talks about it in his own writings um, when he's writing to the Corinthians in what we call Second Corinthians toward the end of the book. He talked about some sort of a, a malady he's been mm-hmm. wrestling with and, and different biblical scholars wrestle with or guess about what it was. Some people think he was going blind. Some people think uh, he was dealing with something demonic. Some people think it was mental health. Some people depression. Uh, some people think it was a person he didn't like in the church. Um, but he says, you know, I, I wrestled with this uh, and I prayed to God three times that he would take it away. And God's answer is not yes. And it's not just wait on a second. God's answer is no, because my power is made perfect in weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Paul ends up with this sense of beauty that's in the midst of the brokenness. Um, and that's an important realization, too, that it's not just God can only use you once you're fixed, uh, but that God's able to work through us even when we feel like we are cracked vessels ourselves. Mm-hmm. There's that, that line, this is not a, a passage of scripture, but one of those really, really important songs or poems. You, do you know that song by Leonard Cohen? Uh, it's called Anthem, and the, the, the refrain goes... Um, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Um, but that notion that everything in the world has a brokenness to it, and those are not necessarily things to uh, be gotten rid of, but to find ways that they can be beautiful in the midst of their brokenness as well, and that we can then own our brokenness rather than either think we have to hide it or not talk about it or not mm-hmm. deal with it. And I think if the church would get better at talking about these things, and we would find more people... Um, being leaders in the church who who have these disorders, who, who deal with this kind of stuff. Something um, that, that Donna May, Steve, as you were talking, that I think is really important for us in, in helping our friends that we know or that we might suspect have some sort of uh, mental disorder or diagnosis or whatever is not joking about them. You know, sometimes yeah. in our society we... Not so much um, with, with suicide and the more serious ones, schizophrenia, bipolar... Yeah. Well, sometimes we joke about being bipolar and saying, well, you know, we have real high sometimes and we get real low yeah. sometimes. But, you know, when, we, when we're sad for a couple of days, we say that we're depressed. Yeah, yeah. Or when we like things neat and orderly, we say we have OCD. Right. Um, 
those are real diagnoses. Those are real disorders. And it's more than, OCD is more than just like liking my desk to be completely cleared off right. at the end of the day before right. I leave the office. Right. It's a real disorder. And so right. we need to make sure that when we do talk about them, even just in casual conversation with our friends, whether our, those friends happen to have mental um, disabilities and disorders or not, watch how we use our language sure. talking about yeah. them. Yeah. And again, we probably have learned um, not to reduce people who say have a cast on a broken leg to that one thing and mm-hmm. we know not to make fun of somebody all the time for it. I mean like no you wouldn't make fun of somebody because they slipped on the ice or were in a car accident. I mean like no yeah. we know that. So also to be just as gracious when you're dealing with the troubles that we can have in, in our mental health as well. Um, and again this is simply a matter of how we love our neighbor. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's funny how sometimes we can get so defensive about, well, now what am I allowed to say? Am I, what am I allowed to joke about? How about treat people like human beings? And is it a respectful thing to say to anybody? Oh, it's not? Well, then maybe don't mm-hmm. joke about it. You know, yeah. this, this, is, this isn't um, about making people overly hypersensitized. It's simply a matter of be respectful to people. It doesn't have to get more complicated than that. Everybody. Oh, so not just the people who uh, uh, are, uh, appear to be fine in their daily life. Yeah, people who are sick, people who are well, people mm-hmm. with mental, physical, sickness, any of these things. Respect everybody. Oh, it turns out it really is that simple. <laughs> um, there's obviously lots of other directions conversation about mental health could go. Uh, but at the very least, a sort of a toehold for, for our conversation mm-hmm. now. Um, Maybe as, as, what would be helpful bullet points for, for summary for folks leaving, leaving this conversation saying, okay, yeah, I, I want to be part of a Christian community or congregation that isn't afraid to talk about it. What, what, are, what are some launching off points for us? Well, just the fact that we talk about it first off. Okay. You know, just putting it out there and saying, okay, this is something that people deal with, and that's mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, don't tell people to pray it away. Okay. That's not necessarily always going to work. Maybe right. some people might get cured of their... Um, diagnosis someday, but for the most people, they're going to live with it for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Um, respect, you know, just treat them as people. Treat them as you would anybody else that you know, um, disorder or no disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, anything you want to add to the list, Steve? Well, I, I like the way you said that we, we're not prayed away people, but maybe pray through it. That yes. sort of a uh, so absolutely whatever things people are wrestling with. Prayer is an appropriate response. Mm-hmm. And again, neither Eric and I are anti-prayer. But to say, sometimes sometimes our prayer lives are not uh, end up not being taken away, but help me to get through this. I mean, that's what Paul discovers in that, that passage in Corinthians, that God's answer is not, I'm going to you know uh, whisk it away with a wave of a uh, magic wand, but you will live with this, whatever it is, and I will make it possible for you to live with this. Um, that's not uh, a failure of God or a failure of prayer. Uh, that part of how God's answer is, mm-hmm. this is a place in which you will continue to live with this, and I will make it possible for you to live with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of that experience that Paul has in Corinthians, Paul doesn't say, well, I guess God isn't very powerful or strong, or I guess God couldn't help me. Paul seems to think this is God's intentional choice, that that he's able to live with the brokenness rather than, oh, God won't love me until I'm all cured or you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's a living with and praying through it. Um, and that's not defeatism either. That's uh, I had to learn the lesson. This is God's working through me as I am this way. And maybe as a, as a final piece, um, that the grace of God means that even while we struggle, even in our worst, roughest moments, and even in the points where it feels like we are barely coping and holding things mm-hmm. together, we are beloved as we are. I mean, this is one of those things that I, I hope... Uh, 
people who are around us on Sunday mornings get or pick up on from time to time, but it's one of those things that is so important it cannot be said enough. that it, the, the Christian faith, uh, especially in the traditions from which you and I come from, does not boil down to God will love you when you are good enough or God will love you when you're put together enough or God will love you when you are uh, cured enough or stable enough or God will love you after 40 days of sobriety but not until, but as you are, you are beloved. And that love not only is always actively moving us toward more and more fullness of life and wholeness and shalom, to use a biblical word, but even in the midst of our brokenness. Um, and it's not a once I get better, then God will love me, or once I get fixed, then God will accept me. But right as I am, uh, we are beloved as well. Mm-hmm. So thanks for joining us for this conversation uh, and for sticking it out all the way through, even though it was t- tempting probably to go, ooh, mental health station. <laughs> yeah. um, we, we hope you'll join us for further conversations down the road. See you guys. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.